Are you looking to take your knowledge of faith to the next level? Oh, yeah! You've come to the right place. Welcome to Post-Christian Pastors, broadcasting from the Steel City, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The podcast hosted by four pastors as they discuss relationships, faith, pop culture, current issues, and much, much more. Welcome, everybody, to Post-Christian Pastors, coming at you, or should I say you all, if you're listening in the South, or if you're listening in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Yins, and that's where we're coming at you from, is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And what is this podcast? Well, it's simply four pastors trying to live like Jesus in a post-Christian America. We're just four pastors discussing, debating, diving off the high dive into faith, relationships, pop culture, politics, theology, and plenty of other spicy things, including food. So those are all kind of topics we'll be hitting, and we're glad you have got in the church van with us, and uh, so take a seat, put on your seatbelt, and buckle up, because here we go. Well, let's meet the gang, or the posse, or the crew, uh, the Fantastic Four, maybe we could call them, well, Hopefully, they're not as bad as the movie. So I'll uh, let them introduce themselves. Hi, everyone. I'm John Price. Uh, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for about 10 years. Prior to that, I was a youth director at a couple different churches. Spent time in D.C., St. Louis, um, here in Pittsburgh now, and uh, married to uh, my wife, Megan, and we've been married for 16 years. We have three kids, and... Um, I'm interested in being a part of this. Uh, these guys are, are fun to be around. and Well, well let's not overdo it. Yeah, some of us are. <laughs> some <laughs> have more fun than others. Yes. As we found out that's so right, earlier. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> 14 to. That's in, the, that's in the, uh, the Red Band trailer version. <laughs> yep. My name is Marv, and uh, I'm a pastor of college students. I interact with uh, millennials. I'm also a, an adjunct college professor, so... A lot of these issues that we're going to be dealing with, uh, it's really fun to, to have good conversations, to wrestle, sometimes argue, uh, just have good conversations about hard topics. So I'm looking forward to that. Also, just having fun with this crazy group of people, as uh, Mark called it, the passe, the pastor passe, I guess, the double P. So having fun with that. I'm also an author. <laughs> Lots of P. <laughs> Lots of P. Lots of P. Yeah. I mean, it is yeah. the post-Christian pastor. Yeah, there's so, a yeah. lot of P's in it's this. a lot of P's. And, uh, you it's know, like my four-year-old. It's kind of like PCP. PCP, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, so I'm also the, uh, the author of a book called What Good is Jesus, which is written for millennials and answers some of the tough questions that are being interacted with now uh, in these days. So I'm just going to have fun and uh, have a good time with these great gentlemen. Cool. Thanks. Great. My name is Mike Arnold, and it's great to be with you. I've pastored for 20 years in churches in Akron, Ohio, Las Vegas, Nevada, and a couple of different churches in the greater Pittsburgh area. So I currently pastor a church in the north side of Pittsburgh, and then uh, also own my own consulting company where I help organizations get clear through strategic planning and develop leaders as well. So I'll split my time with those things. Married and my wife, Rochelle, we have two daughters. I grew up in Northeast Ohio, and so I have, an, <clears throat> I have a love for the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> and uh, I often do work those in my sermons, much of this man. Nice. For congregation. People throw you stuff people at you. Around? Yes, well, they leave. Many of them do leave. It's okay. They just get up and go to the bathroom during those times. So I'm going to say one word or two words. Johnny Manziel, give me one word response. Uh, 
praying. Okay. <laughs> That's the proper response. That's there we awesome. go. There we go. Well, yeah, we are coming live uh, from the studios here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, it is fun to be here. I'm Mark Helsel. Uh, I've been a pastor for 25 years. That's hard to believe. Um, I pastor a church in the, in the North Hills area of Pittsburgh, and I uh, have been a speaker for youth specialties for, I was, I did that for six years. Spent most of my time as a youth pastor. Okay, so here at uh, Post-Christian Pastors, we, we're going to deal with all kinds of issues uh, in our culture, and our culture is uh, got all kinds of things going on from you know, politics right now, to religion, to uh, faith, to uh, relational stuff. I mean, there's all kinds of issues in our culture to talk about. And so we're looking forward to these discussions. And uh, today, actually, we're going we're gonna to have a special guest on. That's one of the things we're doing today. We're going to have a special guest, which is Susie Meister. Maybe you've never heard that word, but if you're a reality TV fan, you've heard that name before. And uh, Susie Meister is going to be joining us for what should be a really interesting interview. She was on MTV and a bunch of different other things. It's going to be a great interview with her. And we're going to talk to our very own Marv Nelson about his brand new book, What Good is Jesus? In fact, the whole theme of this podcast is What Good is Jesus? And that kind of leads into uh, what I want to ask you guys about is, is we talk about this theme of what good is Jesus? Uh Around this table, uh, you guys were all pastors, and um, how would you how would you uh, call yourself, or how would you identify yourself? And I'll go I'll go into that. I, I think that the idea of evangelical Christianity, <clears throat> because of our society and, and the media, has totally lost its its uh, true definition of, of what it was meant to be. Now it's kind of like this right right wing, backwoods, uneducated, weird person that's going to vote for Donald Trump. Um, I'm an evangelical. <laughs> I believe in Jesus. Um, I believe I got my bumper sticker and my, <laughs> and my fish on my car that's eating your Darwin fish. And, right, right. You know, yeah. So, so I, I, when people ask me, like, what kind of Christian are you? You know, I say, I'm a Christ follower. I look at the, the model of Christ and uh, see how he was revealed through Scripture. And even historically, you can see... Uh, the the historical Christ and say like, I I'm a follower of Jesus that's that's what I do I don't need to label myself evangelical um, because I think it's just laced with all kinds of rep, uh, disreputable ideals so I try to not label myself that way. Cool. What about you, Mike? Yeah, I'd really just try to clarify myself as a follower of Jesus Christ because I think at my best that's. That's who I am. When I when I follow Jesus, I don't try to lead him in my life or get him to do what I want him to do, but simply to follow him. I also I serve in a church that has quite a theological variance. Depending on the congregation that you go to, the denomination that I serve in, um, it could be anything from someone that believes something completely different from Scripture or what culture uh, should mean. So, uh, in that kind of context, it's really, it's really interesting when you, when you define yourself in one area, you kind of put yourself within a box and it shuts off communication within, even within my denomination that I serve in. Yeah. I was going to say that I think when someone says, are you evangelical, you have to add so many qualifiers today Yeah, that mm-hmm. it's really, because there's a, there's a checklist, right? I mean, when, when you hear that word on TV, there's basically a checklist in people's minds that or a box, whatever you want to call it, and yeah. if you don't, if I mean they've already 
decided that you're anti this or anti that, or you hate these people or you hate this group of people. And, and so you're right. So there's a list. There's also, right. I mean, those, the meanings of those words change over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Semantics change in all cultures over a period of time. And so maybe over the last you know, five to ten years, that term evangelical Christian, the semantics of what that's meant in our culture has yeah. dramatically changed. And so it's, is it even worth holding on to an old semantic uh, for that term rather than just to redefine what, what you really believe? All right, let's go back. Go ahead, John. You were well, no, I was, I was just, I think, that's, I think that's right. I mean, if someone asks me if I'm an evangelical, my response usually is, well, do you, by evangelical, do you mean this, 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 and this? And if you mean those things, then yes, I'm an evangelical. Yeah. But if you, if you, if you mean some of those other things that we talked about before, you right. know, uh, then I'd have to say no, I'm not an evangelical. I, 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 that's not how I would, you know, how I understand what G, how Jesus calls us to follow him. It doesn't, it doesn't explain who I am as. As a follower of Christ, so. right now, now as we get into this, I mean, the title of this podcast is "Post Christian Pastors," and it's kind of a play on words like "We're not post Christians; we uh, all are Christians around this table." Yeah. This podcast is made by Christians, but we live. I think, uh, I and mean, maybe there's people that would would disagree with this, especially in maybe different areas of the country. But I believe it's true of the entire country, especially the United States, and then especially in Europe and, yeah. and different places in the world. It's a post-Christian uh, world. And um, you know, as, as you hear those words, post-Christian world, what do, what do you think that means? Uh, what does that mean to you to be a pastor or even just be a human being, a Christian, in a post-Christian world? What do you guys, what do you guys think about that? I think there's a couple things, you know, theological we can dive into, but one of the things, just right off the bat, is I remember when I first went into ministry, or I had this thought that I wanted to be a pastor. Pastors were, in my community, perceived as good people, as good individuals, and he was a good guy in our community. Someone you went to when you were in trouble, when you needed something, and he was there to listen for you, care for your spiritual needs, but also some of your physical needs as well. That's not the case right now. Actually, when I... Uh, at the gym working out, and someone asks me what I do, and we're developing a relationship with someone, I tell them the pastor. I, I literally see like something between horror or <laughs> suspicion uh, on their face. It's like, a, it's like the, <laughs> it's the worst. You know what I found it is? It's either the, uh, it's either the conversation killer or it's the conversation starter that you can't get out of. People want to unload on you. Like, just yeah. unload. Like, when they know you're a pastor, like, I, I don't want to, but I was at my, uh, 25th high school reunion and I had to do this moment of silence for people that had passed away in our class and we have like eight or nine people and literally uh, at the rest of the night at the at the reunion people just unloaded on me like they either they either unloaded me great stuff to me like oh thank you I've become a Christian since high school or whatever or literally as they drank more <laughs> as the night went on they just I mean I got people that just hated God and and decided they needed to tell me how much they hated God or how much they hated the church and I was like okay uh, I'll let him know no you know I you know it was just like I was like is that is that what you want me to do do you want me to let him know i mean like do you yeah. think i have a, a special red phone like the bat phone at my house but it's amazing what people think and and uh yeah it's just a it's just like that that word when you say you're a pastor uh that so many things come up and sometimes good sometimes bad 
No, often it's just awkward is the best word for me. It's just immediately they kind of <laughs> look at a good you word in for you. whole different ways. And, <laughs> and it's just, it creates this record scratch. And it's a very strong cue that faith, especially the profession that we are in, is perceived differently in the overall culture. Yeah, I think for me, it, it, I, I sense that for sure. But there's also this sense of, of excitement that we're in a post-Christian world. I, I think because... Um, of the, the, the bad negative stigmata that come with the idea of evangelical, we can re, reshape that. I mean, you look at the history of the world and you see Christianity at its worst was always when it was the most acceptable thing. I mean, Constantine made sure that Christianity was all through Rome, and then it no longer was something that people uh, felt compelled to do, but they they said, oh, this is a duty. Now I have to, it's my thing. It's not something that, I, that was inner compulsion of, man, I want to be a part of this great movement. Uh, you know, I think that we now have an opportunity to not only display the true gospel, because it, it, it got so muddled in history over all these things. I mean, you know, uh, Christians were the ones early on a long time ago fighting for slavery because Scripture said it was okay. Then they were the ones fighting against it because they said, no, look at the Scripture. It's not, this is not okay. Uh, and, and so there's just these realities that we can go back to the, the true nature of the gospel, erasing kind of the false dichotomies that have raised up uh, now that we can we can begin again. Uh, in a new type of fad, or not fad, that's a wrong word, phase, rather, of, of Christianity. So our view look at it as a positive thing. So it's like um, uh, Christendom is dead, long live the king, you know, kind of something like that, right? Like, yeah. you know that old statement, the king is dead, long live the king. You know, it's Christendom, the things of Christendom, or the the, the belief that everybody is a Christian because they grew up in America or, yeah. or wherever, that, that has died. Yep. That has died, and we live in a post a post Christendom world, right. and so now it's like the king can the king really live now where we could actually follow and see the king right. as we would all say Jesus is the king, uh, how do we now uh, make the king uh, let the people know not make him, but let the people know that the king is alive right because it's not it's no longer cultural christianity it's true Christianity I mean it's like the students that you know we work with those of us who, who work with youth. That they, you know, when they're in middle school and high school, their faith wasn't their own. Then when they got to college, they had this choice like, I can be a Christian or not. And when they chose to, they were on fire. There was this natural sense of, this is mine, I own it. Uh, and I think that where America is coming out of the adolescence of that, and we can have the choice to choose, this is ours, like we can own it. It's no longer this, it's forced, it's cultural. Uh, and so that. For yeah, me now it's countercultural. Right. And I think that the gospel has gone further. When it's countercultural, than when it's cultural. Right, so we've kind of gone back to the future. We've kind of gone back. We've kind of gone Marty back. McFly. Yeah, Marty McFly has traveled back with Doc Brown, back to the the first church, and then kind of we're kind of in the culture that we were in. How many eighties references can you back. make? Oh, there's gonna be a lot of eighties <laughs> references <laughs> today. So, so I'm stuck in the eighties. And uh, you look like the guy who sing for uh, Midnight Oil. Remember, remember that. You ever say, "I'll stop the world and melt with you"? Is that Midnight Oil? Who is it? I, I don't have know. no idea. But, I was born in '84. So. <laughs> oh, well, I was in ninth grade. Man, I'm really old. You are the oldest one here. Yeah, you're man. by far the oldest. Well, hey, we're gonna take a really quick break, and then we're gonna come back for a really fun segment that I'm looking forward to. Susie is gonna be here joining us through Skype, and uh, we're gonna be interviewing her. So don't go anywhere. Stick around. We will be back here on Post-Christian Pastors. Hang on. Lord, you breathe out. 
welcome back here on Post-Christian Pastors. Welcome back. We're glad you're here. Hey, we have a very special guest with us today that we're really excited about all the way from Southern California, but she is a Pittsburgh girl. She is a, a native Pittsburgher. Her name is Susie Meister, and um, Susie, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I know. I'm glad you're here. So let me give you. Let me give the audience a, a, a little bit of intro to you. I know you're world famous, but uh, just <laughs> to give them a little intro to you, um, you're a Pittsburgh girl who appeared on what? What season of uh, MTV Road Rules? What? What season was it? First season, second season. Season six, Australia. Oh, geez, I'm totally wrong. <laughs> well, it was so long ago, Australia. you might think it was the first one, but no, yes. it was six. So, yeah, she was on season six of MTV Road Rules, and uh, and then she went on to be in uh, six more reality TV shows. And then uh, from there, now this is kind of crazy. Uh, so you're the reality TV star, but you have a PhD in religion from mm-hmm. Pittsburgh University. And you might be the only reality star ever with a PhD in religion. I, I'm sure I am. And you are currently, uh, so you're, you're currently living in California and you host a podcast called Brain Candy. Let's throw a little plug out there for that. So Brain Candy is your podcast. And uh, I mean, you've, you've done a bunch of stuff in your life, some, some cool stuff. You talk a lot on religion, pop culture, things like that. Um, you also have sung with the Beach Boys, which we were all kind of um, fascinated by. And, um, I'm in love with them. It's so weird. Nice. My other friend, Gene Hong from Pittsburgh, has hung out with the Beach Boys also. What? Uh, he's best friends with Adam Levine, and they hung out with the Beach Boys when Adam sang with the Beach Boys at the Grammys uh, a few years back. way cooler than what happened to me. Yes. Wow. <laughs> way cooler. <laughs> so, like, we met. So, you and I met when you I, – I worked at a church that you grew up going to. It's mm-hmm. an evangelical kind of large mega church. And we met there because we asked you to come speak to our youth group about your experience on the road rules. And uh, I, I had to pretend to have a crush on you. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you remember that? We were sitting yeah. at Starbucks table and we shot like this little video uh, beforehand. Weird, yeah, it was yeah, kind of yeah, weird. But yeah. I was, you know, I was in my mid 20s. I don't know how old you were. were. You and I was legal. You were legal. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so it wasn't that bad. So it was, it was good. So you had just come off of road rules where, um, I know it's a long time ago, but that road rules, you were, uh, in your own words, portrayed as the Christian virginal, uh, pure girl. Um, and you know, and they were going to lead you astray and all that kind of stuff. Right. Is that correct? Yeah, back in the day, they used to cast a, a lot of different kinds of people, and they tended to have a virginal type of Christian gal on various seasons, so I represented that. And then, you know, I think they were kind of banking on a bit of a downward spiral. Right, so you were you were a young adult. You were how old when you went on Road Rules? I was 18. You were 18 years old, young adult, you know, headed out to be on reality TV, which was pretty in its infant kind of stages at that point. And uh, so the years have gone by now, and you are um, you get your PhD in religion, which is f- fascinating to me. I'd like to hear more about that. And you just wrote an article uh, called "Why I Left the Right: How Studying Religion Made Me Liberal." And uh, yeah. and so um, I, we're kind of interested in your journey from evangelical upbringings, uh, mega church, uh, being the Christian girl on on road rules to kind of how you've arrived at kind of where you are now and how would you identify yourself uh, today, like in your 
faith journey? How do you how do you identify uh, yourself now? Yeah, so I grew up, you know, super conservative, um, specifically Pentecostal, or you know, under the evangelical umbrella, but. Um, I decided to study religion not in an effort to debunk it at all. I was just very fascinated by what drove people uh, to believe certain things. But the more I studied religion, which over the, you know, when you get a PhD over the course of, you know, eight years really, right. it just, I felt like I was too close to the Monet in a way. Like everything started to become a big mess for me personally with my faith. So, faith, so then I just sort of was looking at it from an outsider's perspective. I was just trying to study it in a way that someone would without uh, a particular doctrine or dogmatic background. Right. And the more I did that, the less I connected to the rhetoric that I grew up with. And I didn't lose my faith, but I did divorce myself from this world view, view that's sort of become representative of evangelicals, which is, you know, what you might see on Fox News with a lot of talk about uh, abortion specifically and also the, the gay rights agenda. And those were the two, those are the two big hot topics that I heard growing up, you know, politically on the right. And those are the things that I started to think, wait, I'm not so sure about this. And then I would look at the life of Jesus and what he emphasized. And those were the things that resonated with me, this um, champion for the poor and the weak and the oppressed, and the meek. And that looks different for everybody. So some people might say, well, what's weaker than a fetus? You know, right. Jesus would, of course, you know. So I, the kind of, the problem is I know both sides so well now right. that I can almost do the debate, debate yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know both sides so well, you're schizophrenic now. No. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it's, it's really a lot when you've come from such a religious background to then study it the way that I did and now be an expert and a scholar of religion. And so, and so you, and so now in your life, like what, what point did that, how old were you when that journey kind of began where you started to move away from being evangelical as, as um, it's defined in the culture? About 10 years ago, in my early twenties, I guess, 10 or 12 years ago, I started to think, wait, that doesn't make sense to me anymore. And I right. want to focus more on, um, the parts, the, the life of Jesus. Like I wanted him, I want him to be my blueprint. Right. And so if he's my blueprint, then I need to focus on the things that he focused on. So I try to do that. I fail miserably, but that's what my intention is. So how many so people? So I, I guess I would consider myself a follower of Jesus and I really don't like the evangelical label, but that's mainly because of what other people associate with it. So how many people have basically said to you, though, like, oh, Susie, you gave up on your faith and you're not a Christian anymore because you do blah, 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 or whatever. I mean, this article alone has elicited um, all sorts of reactions. <laughs> yeah, I was reading the I comments, said, Susie. It I was quite know. interesting. John said he was reading your comments. No, and, reading the comments. Oh, the comments. He was reading the comments on your article. I'm sure you've I done that, too. I read the comments. No, don't. don't do it. Don't <laughs> no. do it. Never read the no, comments. No, no. There's no good can come from that. But there have been a lot of people that sent really thoughtful and, and insightful things on both sides of the debate, and I appreciate that because I'm totally open to the dialogue. Um, but I don't. I people are very concerned about me. That's the number one word that they use. They're concerned that I'm going to hell, that I've backslidden, and things like that. Wow. Well, we want to open it up. I'm open up to these guys. They've got some questions for you. you ready for this? Are you going to be all right? Yeah, I can handle it. <laughs> be gentle, guys. Go ahead. Uh, so, whoever wants to start, go ahead and uh, ask her. She's, you know, she's a PhD, so be careful. 
uh, you're treading into dangerous I'm, waters. I'm, I'm intimidated, honestly. When I read that, I was like, ooh. This is like when the Pharisees walked into the presence of Jesus and they asked him the tough question. Then they got hammered because he had the question he asked them trapped them. So, the, you know, tread lightly here, walk in. You never know what's going to happen. So who wants to go first? Well, I mean, I, I guess I'll go first because I mean, a lot of what you were saying resonates with me and a lot of stuff I wrote in my book, What Good is Jesus? In particular, one, I said Jesus would not run for president. Um, you know, and, and, and one of the things I specifically say in there is the reason why I believe that is because Jesus was not a man of rhetoric, but he was a man of action. Uh, yeah. he, he did things rather than talked about them. And a lot of our evangelical political world is what you said, just rhetoric. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I, that I mentioned in the book that a lot of people get frustrated with, but one of the things I think is that, that Christians, as Christians, we should not legislate morality. Uh, and I say that significantly in the book. I believe in morality, and I believe there are specific things that Jesus uh, in the Bible says that are sin and that we you know, shouldn't run away from the label of sin. You know, In particular, I would say a, uh, a couple that's having sex outside of wedlock is sinning, or uh, a man and a man having sex at all, whether they are married or not. To me, that, that's sin. And so my question for you is, uh, I, I guess you you, you're in the same area as not legislating morality. I can understand that from the article and from, from the things that you were talking about. But when it comes to the faith, uh, the reality of this, you didn't walk away from your faith. Do you still believe that certain things, and you don't have to label them if you don't want to, but do you still believe that certain things uh, are, are sin? Yes, I do. I still believe that certain things are sin. The only thing that changed, I think, was in determining how wh which category something falls into. So I think a lot of Christians have been taught that, you know, the Bible is the final authority. And, and it's in particular that the way that they're told it's in, in interpreted by their pastor is the final authority. So a lot of people mm -hmm. don't do the investigation on their own and consider context and things like that. They are told from the pulpit and then they accept that as the truth. I object to that. And I think that people should apply uh, scrutiny to the, to the interpretations that they've been taught. So for me, it has to make sense. Is someone getting hurt by something I'm doing? Is, is there someone being negatively affected? Like stealing, murder, these things make sense. If something doesn't make sense, then, then I, I don't put it in that category. So that's why, the for me, gay marriage isn't a problem. Um, and other people think, yep, they are getting hurt or their children are being hurt. I disagree with that. So it doesn't fall in that category for me. Okay. And, and, and I think that's what you said about uh, you know, not accepting blindly what the pastor is saying. Paul in the Bible would commend that as well. I mean, he, he congratulated the Bereans. He was a pastor, and he was preaching to them, and they didn't trust him all that much every time. So they would check the Bible and check, you know, fact-checked him. Instead of rather than getting ticked off at them, he said, good job. Like, that's what you're supposed to be doing. So, I mean, I definitely want to say that, you know, Paul would agree with that aspect of interpretation of, you know, not just blindly believing what the pastor is saying. You know, and as a pastor, I say that I want my, you know, my people I'm preaching to look at the Bible. You know, I'm, I don't want to be preaching heresy. If I am, call me out. I think that another thing that troubles me is that I think a lot of people don't know the history of particularly the religious right. So they think that it's something that was born out of Roe v. Wade, and it just simply wasn't. Historically speaking, it came out of uh, the Bob Jones University Supreme Court case regarding segregation and admission of black folks. And and that 
that's a different mythology than, hey, Roe v. Wade happened, and now we're going to mobilize all these voters, and look how great we are. That isn't the, the, what happened. And so if people want to understand why you know, the abortion issue has become such an important topic for evangelicals, they need to know where that came from. And it was a very strategic maneuver. And indeed, the Southern Baptist Convention didn't even have a problem with many cases of abortion. This has evolved over time. It's not been consistent since Roe v. Wade. In line with what you uh, were just thought you and Marv were kind of just discussing, um, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Christian Smith's uh, term, uh, moral therapeutic deism. Um, no. <clears throat> if you're if you're not, I'd, say, I'd suggest you kind of take a look at it because I think that MTD is good. Yeah, um, you've got MTD. Yeah. <laughs> Not you, Susie. It's not. Marv. No, I'm just kidding. It sounds like a disease. Not it's an like STD. An it's not an STD. It's an MTD. It's, you have MTD. It's, it's Wait, ravaging our country. So it's moralistic mo- therapeutic deism. So it's the it, it, Christian Smith's uh, thing is that most of the people in America practice moralistic therapeutic deism. So it's uh, moralism, be good, do the, do the right thing. Make it feel good. Ther- okay. Therapeutic, it feels good, it makes me feel good. And the deism that, that God, is, God is kind of distant and not really in, personally involved. Okay. So, um, so kind of with that kind of in mind, I, I think, I mean, personally, I think that that is kind of what the American church in particular, and I think the Western church uh, overall is, is, is really struggling with and dealing with. And I think that's where, you know, as this kind of, as evangelicals, that, I think the evangelical church has just really bought into that. I mean, that's kind of, yeah. I think, uh, you know, the, the culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, kind of, if, if that's true, um, do you, would you believe that a more robust theology, as as my tradition says, a whole council of God understanding of scripture. He would, has a PhD. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> do, do you think that that would, in fact, maybe have, um, like in your own particular case, would that have um, helped you in your in your journey? Because I kind of feel like as I read some of the things you have written and hear you talk, that um, that you, that in some sense, you kind of feel like you were sold a bill of goods a little bit. So my dissertation in particular studies um, prosperity gospel. So a lot of the mega churches like Joel Osteen's um, and and many others that. And, and in particular, the rhetoric they use to yeah. um, attract people and why that message is so appealing to so many people and why that tradition is growing. And I understand the concept of, for example, like a seeker-friendly church, the one that feels welcoming to people who might not have grown up in religion or maybe converting from a different faith. So I get why this sort of, um, if I'm understanding your phrasing correctly, this sort of, um, you know, feel-good um, idea of religiosity is appealing to people. But for me personally, I prefer to be challenged. I want someone to say, you know, you, you didn't sell all your possessions. You, you know, you're driving a fancy car and you're doing, why, why are you doing that? That's not following the life of Jesus. Like I want to be challenged and I don't feel like that's coming from the pulpit anymore. It's more like practical day-to-day stuff that I could get from a inspirational memes on uh, Instagram, and I, yeah. which I are so inspirational. Are those but. Jesus memes, right? With the white Jesus, maybe that's really appealing to people and and great for them. But for me, I just don't see how that is at all like the teaching of Jesus and what he 
called people to do. I feel like it's so hard to take up your cross and to live like a life even resembling his. So I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. So it's a faith beyond memes. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's All right. Cool. Mike's got a, Mike's got a question for you. He hasn't I mean, had a chance to ask yeah, a question. Or right, you go ahead. Sorry. I just want to just follow up with that. So I guess that so my my question part of my question was do you feel like growing up that you received that type of biblical um, robust robust uh, theological training so to speak if you want to use those words. In a way I did, but it's focus was about what I wasn't allowed to do, right? Right. You yeah. know, you, you, I'm sure you guys all grew up in a similar time. Yes. and in a similar Yeah, it was moralistic, <laughs> therapeutic <laughs> deism. Yeah. Uh, I, oh, okay. Yeah. That, yeah. Do that, the right thing. Yeah. Do, Make yeah. it feel good. I'm not, I, and that's how I was defined on the show. It was like, I didn't have sex. I didn't swear. I didn't uh, do drugs. I didn't drink. Why was that the emphasis? Why wasn't it about what I was doing and who I was touching in a, a you know, a powerful way. Well, I, think the, I think the church tends to practice reductionism where they reduce faith. I always used to say that I thought Christianity growing up was about don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do. Yeah. And, yeah. And, um, because that's what you were told. Right. I was taught, I, right, I was taught that it was a reductionist of the message of Jesus. Um, but I think the world does that too. They think that's what Christianity is also. I got a question for that. Well, I'm not saying I, we're partly responsible. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. We're not letting ourselves off the hook. I'm gonna take some blame. <laughs> yeah, it's John. John Price's fault. That's how totally. He all the pres- all the I think Mark had that had that question. Wait, is he the Presby? Yeah, so yeah, he's Presby. a Presby, so he has no morals. <laughs> anyway, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wait, he drinks and chews. I want to know from you guys. Yeah. Oh, she's asking sure. us a question. I love it. This is well, because I don't get this opportunity to just like talk to all of these people that I normally just am watching. So let me interact. If you would, do you agree that we all, as followers of Jesus or Christians or evangelicals, have selective literalism with the Bible? Do we agree that that's what's happened? Yeah, Susie, that kind of leads into the question I had for you. You know, I think when we look at our theological kind of reflection, the tradition I come from is maybe your experience uh, with the, the Methodist quadrilater- quadrilateral or the Wesleyan quadra- quadrilateral. Yeah. Where basically we see uh, our picture of God through kind of four lenses. There's the lens of scripture, there's the lens of reason, and you even said, and you opened this up with the thought, that just didn't make sense to me. You said that two or three times when you were sure. questioning your own uh, theological upbringing. Right? So scripture, reason, tradition, and experience, personal experience. And so you know, one of the questions I had for you is how do you weigh those when, you're, when you think about God? Uh, what gets weighed more? Your experience, scripture, tradition, and reason, how do those play out when you're making up your mind about God? Well, if we, you know, if you're operating under this belief that we aren't actually all doing everything that the Bible or whatever says, then for me, all all I'm interested in is erring on the side of grace and mercy and love. That's really all that that is. And I understand that those terms can mean different things for different people. And that's why my politics look very different from someone else who calls themselves a Christian. But for me, that's what is driving it. It does, does what I'm saying embody and encourage grace, mercy, and love. If not, I'm going to readjust and recalibrate. I know that that's complicated and I'm making it too simple, but that's the like nuts and bolts of it. And to, to your question, you know, to give a different response as well, that seeing 
through the lenses, uh, like what you're saying, like we, we, we can add our own interpretations uh, to certain scriptures. I think I think that's eisegesis. I mean, we, we many of us do mm-hmm. do that. We all do. And, and we need to be, we do need to be called out on the carpet of that, that, you know, rather than exegesis, what is the text actually saying? We eisegete it and we say, this is what I want it to say for myself, and here's how I'm going to tell and manipulate. Like, I, I, I think that some of your pain is that you see Christian leaders manipulating their followers to believe what they believe, and then then they can they can control what they do. And and I definitely see that, you know, from the prosperity gospel perspective, I see that happening a lot in the same, you know, probably some of your dissertation, I didn't read it, but I'm sure some of it was on the, the aspect of manipulation, uh, utilizing this as, as a tool of getting more money for the church or, or whatnot. And I, I think that that is, that's sinful eisegesis. And so I, I would definitely say, yeah, but there's also this aspect of, of like you saying scholarly importance where we need to go back to the Greek and look at it and say, okay, what is it actually saying? You know, are these interpretations correct? Are we looking at this correctly? And one of the things that I've found in my faith walk, and, and you could you could agree or disagree with me, uh, that I found helpful is going back to what the early church anticipated it saying, because that was the closest reality of what it was actually meant to say. And so the early church, you know, hundreds, 100 years separated from Jesus who are reading Paul, they're going to better understand what Paul was saying. Uh, and so I try and go back to the ancient church and say, how did they interpret this? And it, it, am I interpreting it incorrectly because of my American lens? Would, would you agree with that? I would. And I mean, imagine for years, I am, my job was to look at and listen to sermons and tweets and whatever from these pastors. I'm sorry. And then, That's a horrible I know. job. What a horrible <laughs> job. We I'm actually do those sermons. <laughs> and I would have to categorize them and, and um, quantify what are the topics they're discussing. And it wasn't salvation and it wasn't um, charity or, or whatever. It was, you know, money and uh, power and getting a better job and things like that. I mean, I've quantified it. I'm not just, this isn't anecdotal. And that's okay. I don't really care. I'm just saying that that looks very different to me than the early church. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And and I think that that's the Americanized gospel you're talking about. I think that, that, you know, the the other three guys and myself here, we're not prosperity gospel preachers. Well, I have this expensive mic. Well, right. <laughs> that is true. Large, PNC actually called him and told him that he had an expensive five dollar purchase at McDonald's. He overdrafted. He overdrafted. I have a I have a different mic than the rest of them, so they've just been it's giving a me really a bunch fancy, of crap about it. Fancy mic. But you guys, though, what you might be is uh, evangelicals in general are so good at marketing. And there is a fine line, of course, between a business and the way that the church operates, and and yeah. there is some overlap there, of course, because. You want to attract people in in the same way that a, a business does. Sure. And so that can get very muddled oh when gosh, you're yeah. also trying to tell the truth with a capital T, but you want to attract people. How Susie, can you can I, go ahead. Susie, what would you say, though? Sometimes I'll, I'll see people that will attack tradition or attack the church, and they're using kind of like reason or experience. Uh, but yeah. really underneath it is a motivation just to do whatever the heck they want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't want to submit to any level of authority <laughs> whatsoever. They don't even want to think. And yeah. so really what their, the core issue is, I don't want a God. I don't want to be submissive to anything or anyone. I just want to live my life. I want to be my own God. What would you say to that segment? 
Well, that's a growing number of people too. The the people that categorize themselves in the nun category, N O N E, not N U N. Did you just uh, say you're a nun? Because <laughs> that's the last thing I would think about you. But. <laughs> the people that are, are kind of represented by that non yeah. uh, affiliated label is growing. That's the young people, and right. you have to ask why. Why is that happening? People are disillusioned. They're they're pissed off. Sorry if I'm not allowed to say That's that right. at the church and <laughs> and that they're what they see as hypocrisy, and um, maybe that is um, under the guise of I just want to do what I want and I don't want people telling me what to do. But part of that comes from uh, cynicism about authority and feeling like I do, which is that I was sold a bill of goods and there's these people telling me what uh, how I need to live. But I look at their life and it looks pretty bad. So I understand why they feel that way, but it's I do think it's unfortunate. So let me ask you this. What what is your personal interaction with church now? Or do you go to church? Do you have you found a church that you can be a part of? Because I I know a lot of evangelicals, I think everybody around this table, we we have been pretty uh we're pretty hard on our own tribe, if you if you will. Are you? Huh? You are? I try to be I mean, I, again, I don't, I don't hold to some of the things that the, you know, evangelicals hold to. I think we've made horrible mistakes. Uh, I think we made horrible mistakes in the gay community. Uh, I think we've treated, treated people who identified as homosexuals. I think we've treated them horribly as a whole throughout the years. Uh, I don't think we've done enough for the poor. I don't think, uh, we were talking about this before you came on, like, you know, the gospel in America got split into two. It got split into social justice issues and then yeah. personal piety issues, personal righteousness issues or personal relationship with Jesus. They go together. They go together. You can't yeah. separate them. The, 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 the gospel I read in my Bible has both. And so sadly it went, the liberal church took the social issues and the evangelical church took the personal holiness, righteousness, having a relationship with Jesus and they separated. But I will say this. Um, I see the evangelicals doing a ton more for poor, uh, for the needy. I mean, there are amazing evangelicals doing, um, there is a movement to swing the pendulum back to the middle. Or, yeah. or I would not say the middle. I would say a third way, which is really the gospel way. That's what it always was intended to be. Yeah. I think to swing back in that direction. And so, have you found any place that you feel comfortable that you can walk into a church and you feel like I belong here? These are my people. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want to do this with you. Very rarely, we moved out to LA uh, within the last year, and so. When I do go to churches, first of all, I have a hard time taking off my uh, scholar hat, and I am often sort of looking around and taking notes for my own research, and I I have found it very difficult to separate those two, the head and the heart, in a way that helps me personally grow, Um, Mm -hmm. but I do try to do that as much as I can, and I haven't found a home yet. I haven't found a place that I really connect with, and that's sad to me. Cool. Well, I know we only have you for a short time because you got to get over to Fox News and, and know, do an interview with them. So, uh, super fancy. Can we, uh, can we play a little game with you? Yes. All right. <laughs> We're going to play a little game with you. Uh, and so this game is called 10 Bad Questions. Okay, so we're just going to ask you 10 random bad questions. Okay. All right, so here we go on 10 bad questions with Susie Meister and Marv. You're going to kick us off. Question number one. Your hair is blonde. Is that natural? No, 
Come on. <laughs> of course it's not. I guess that's a no. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> My son is blonde, so I feel like I can pretend effectively now. Nice. Okay, question number two. If you could touch one person's hair, either Donald Trump or Joel Osteen, which one would you choose? <laughs> oh, definitely Osteen. I'd love to run my fingers through that jaw. Oh! <laughs> His hair is beautiful. He would encourage you to do that. <laughs> You'd have to pay $4,000. Yeah, it's $4,000 to do that. All right, Mike, question number three. What's your favorite holiday? Ooh, I love Thanksgiving. It's all about the food. Hey, since you're from Pittsburgh, Susie, what's your favorite thing about Pittsburgh? Um, my favorite thing about Pittsburgh is that we stick together. No matter where I am, like out here in LA, there's Pittsburgh bars and stuff, and everybody's genuinely happy to see each other. Nice, nice. All right, question number five. What do you miss about the church? Oh my gosh, I miss everything. I was so much happier. This is the saddest answer ever. I was so much happier when I was certain and when I was faithful than I am now. Even though I'm still faithful, it's just different. And I'm, I miss that so much. And the collective effervescence when you're in church and you feel, feel that worship and communion with everyone. Man, there ain't nothing like it. All right, question number six. If you had to choose a foreign car to drive, which one would it be? I have a Mercedes. I've, I've, oh! I choose that one. Wow! Was that question six? As pastors that aren't I don't know if I can afford we'll question number seven. Like. Yeah. <laughs> what happens when you study prosperity gospel? Question number seven then. Question number seven then is a Mac or PC? I'm a Mac. Yes! Nice. Oh, I'm sorry. That was really loud. Um, that was really loud. I apologize. <laughs> uh, favorite snack items? That's question number eight. Um, I could eat my weight in cheese. Oh, that's what kind of cheese? Like Smoked really Gouda. great, stinky, wonderful cheese. Ooh, stinky, stinky cheese. Or yeah. like government cheese. I grew up poor. That's fine too. <laughs> government government cheese. cheese. Like it's for real. Like, you live in a van down by the river. <laughs> great band <laughs> name. Call us government <laughs> cheese. <laughs> they don't give that out to Mercedes owners now. Though. No, they don't. They that's don't. that's your that's your next article. Oh, government cheese to Mercedes. Blessings <laughs> of the Lord. Question number nine. On Fox News, will you promote our podcast? <laughs> I will not. <laughs> awesome. Yes. I love it. I'm sorry, I it just came it. to my mind. I, I love it. Question number 10. How many times have you seen the Shawshank Redemption? Once only. Oh, wow. that breaks my heart. All right, that was Susie Meister playing 10 Bad Questions. Let's give it up for Susie. Yeah, nice yeah, job. Susie. Yeah, appreciate it. All right. All right. Hey, uh, Susie, thanks for joining us on our initial podcast. We're really excited that you uh, joined us all the way from Southern California, and we wish you the best. We hope that you can actually find a church where you feel like uh, you belong. And um, thank you so much for your thoughts and for being with us. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. See ya. Thanks, Susie. Thank you. Any any just real quick comments on, on what she said or uh, anything like that that just thoughts you had? I felt bad when she was talking about her church experience now. Uh, that you know she's she misses that and longs for that type of connectivity, but knows that because of her scholarly mindset she walks into a church now with uh, a researcher's mentality rather than a worshiper's mentality right cool yeah john anything from you i, I think that was one of the things i took away as well but i was really uh, i thought that was a really good conversation i was happy we had that with her yeah enjoyed it and we could talk with her 
for a little bit longer period. Yeah, but you know, she had to go talk to Fox News. I mean, yeah, that, that's right. We're I mean, they're much Fox. lower down than us, but you know, it's just she Fox blew News. Them but off. Blew them off. someday, some, she wouldn't even someday, 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 she'll someday. Blow, blow them off for us. Someday. Well, we want to move into our next section where we're going to look at a book, and um, it's kind of the theme of our podcast today, which is uh, "What Good Is Jesus?" And uh, the book "What Good Is Jesus." is written by our own Marv Nelson. That book is releasing on March 8th, right? March 8th, yes. March 8th the paperback. It's already on Kindle. It's out it. there. Go get that book now. Go get it, because Marv's kids got to eat. That's right. That's right, because <laughs> so, you know his pastor's Jesus Marv's got dude. like three kids, four. What do you got? Three kids. All right, yeah. sorry, working on four. Anyway, We know no, what else is good kidding. for Marv. Marv's got three kids. <laughs> He married a girl that grew up in my youth group. I don't know if you guys knew that. He oh, married yeah. a Northway girl. So, really? yeah, yeah. So uh, he uh, he uh, he's he's uh, a very he's here. very uh, virile man. As we three kids, <laughs> that's right. Um, that's right. But you got it, you got it, you got it, you got it. So uh, and his wife just heard this when she does hear it, and she's like, "No way, boy, no way." <laughs> Page one fifty five in the book. <laughs> Jesus designed sex and marriage. I do talk about it. It is sex and marriage <laughs> is on the top. It is there. It is up to talk about right. It, it is, was one. Chapter I went book. to at, right off the bat. <laughs> make certain to it's make like, sure it was okay. It's like the youth group kids who read uh, Song of Solomon first. Like they that's started right. there, and then they were just let down by the rest of the Bible. Right. right? They well, were like, I mean, that's where I that's where I get all my material from. The Song of it's Solomon. In there. So it's, it's in there. There you go. It's all my Valentine's Day material. Boom. <laughs> Boom. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's change subjects before we get in trouble. Uh, so Marv, Marv, you wrote this great book called What Good Is Jesus? So give us the, uh, give us the main premise of the book and who you're kind of aiming this book at. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my main goal is millennials, both sojourners as well as those who've kind of walked away from the church or unchurched in general. The nuns. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as, as Gabe Lyons would say. Uh, just really trying to to figure out uh, the, the the questions that they were asking, and I interact with college students on uh, the campus of the University of Pittsburgh, Carnegie Mellon, Carlo, and these different these different areas in Pittsburgh. And I, I came up with uh, just all kinds of questions that they were asking. I ran into one of my students, and she was saying, you know, I, I just had this religious class similar to what uh, we were just talking about with uh, with Susie. I, I'm part of this religions class, and there's all kinds of doubts and questions I'm having about my faith, and it just made me realize, wow, there's there's a lot of questions that need to be answered in a relational way, not necessarily this deep theological way, where you know it's not super heady, but it's also very emotional, hits the heart. So it's, I tried to try to hit both worlds in that, but uh, that's who it's focused on. But I think it could be helpful for parents of millennials as well. Now, do you think? Do you now the question? What good is Jesus? The title of the book. Um, now, that's the main driving question. Do you think that's a big question for millennials, for uh, people? You know, I'm a Gen Xer. Yeah. Uh, do you think uh, it? Do you think it's a big question for the generations in our culture? You know, what good is Jesus? What good? What good would that actually be for me to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus? Yeah, and I mean, it, it kind of points to the narcissism of our generation too. Like, what good? What good is it for me? What's right. in it for me? Uh, and so that's why I kind of I, I titled that titled it that way because that that basically people are saying what what good is Jesus when I have suffering in my life? What good is Jesus when there's all kinds of hate for the, uh, the you know people of different sexualities? What good is Jesus when there's all this racism, especially in the church? You know where you see the most segregated day of of the week is still Sunday because there's black churches, white churches, Asian churches. They never come together. It's this racist 
this reality of racism. How can Jesus be good? And what good is Jesus in my life if all this crap is going on and all these uh, these people who say they're followers of Jesus don't do anything Jesus said? Now, was any of this born out of your own personal asking that question too in your own life? Yeah, I think chapter three is probably the most vulnerable. It's, uh, you know, what good is Jesus in the midst of suffering, this reality of my own life where my parents are divorced, my dad tried to kill himself in front of me, and seeing this pain and this suffering, how can Jesus be good? I mean, I was a pastor's kid, and, uh, you know, my mom started dating a, a, an alcoholic and a drug-addicted guy who's abusive. And so, like, you just, you go from one dichotomy, church is everything, Jesus is everything. The next year, I'm in the middle of, of a drug addict's uh, house. <laughs> you know, and so, like, I, I, I really wrestled with my faith throughout high school and, and college, although I pretended to have a nice veneer of this good Christian boy. You know, I share in there some some vulnerable moments of how I was really struggling with how Jesus could be good. And so, you know, my, my goal is to be honest and, and, and really be uh, vulnerable and open with my struggles and issues. And I, and I think that, that that's really, you know, the chapter that most was born out of my own experience. How, how have you wrestled this to the ground in your own personal life? Um, because I think that you've asked the question like, what good is what good is Jesus when there's sexual trafficking? What good is Jesus when there's natural disasters? Or, yeah. or what does it matter? Like, who who cares? I mean, have you wrestled that question in your own life? Because that's that's the whole. I mean, that's a hard yeah. question. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and in that chapter on suffering, I talk about this reality of how Christ suffered more than I did, uh, and, and he did it purposefully. Like there was this, I'm going to purposely step into this. He didn't have to. I mean, I I had no choice. <laughs> if I had a choice, I would have said you would avoid. I would have it. said no. Yeah, I would not have suffered the way I suffered. Like, come on, why would I want that? Um, but Jesus purposely stepped into uh, his own creation to suffer alongside, so that he could say, "Look, I understand. I understand your pain. Not just on a level of, oh, I made you, so I get it. No, he he stepped into suffering and stepped into pain and said." I get it, and this is why I'm good because I understand it, not just by by my mind, but by my life. Now I get that. I get that. I get that. I've always kind of got that. But but here's my question. So I a few years back, I stood uh, next to the casket of my uh, one of my best friends from high school, yeah. whose daughter uh, died of SIDS. Yeah, uh, little baby, and it was probably the most faith stretching painful thing you know that i was watching someone else go through that was affecting me too and you know when you hear that question what good is jesus mm-hmm. uh you know it's not something i would ever i would never stand there at that casket and give my friend the answer Absolutely not. at the casket um well jesus suffered right. or you know don't you know he suffered more than than you are right now. Yeah, that's that's not that's right. No, and, and I know that's not, yeah. I know you're not saying that, but what I'm what I'm saying is is I is hate like Christians that do that. <laughs> yeah, right. These trite responses. Right. It's so easy. Just and I, God suck will it up. use this for good one day. Yeah, yeah God will yeah. use this for good. All so things. you would never say that. No. But but it is. But the reality is, he did suffer more than me. Right. Uh, you know, I guess I I wonder how you've reconciled that in your own your own mind because the, the fact that Jesus suffered more than I do does not remove the fact that people suffer no. and, greatly. And, and so I saw the goodness of Jesus when he met me in my grief. Right. Uh, and, and I think that, that we as, a, as an, an American church are terrible at talking about grief 
because we just shove it away. Like the grieving is not something that most pastors will preach on, but it needs to be preached on because the reality is it's okay to grieve. And right. Christ will meet us in our grief. And so that when, when I see someone in that kind of pain who's a Christian, they say, what good is Jesus? I say, brother, grieve it out. Christ will meet you in your grief. You don't have to run away from your grief. You don't have to pretend you're okay. Live in the pain. Live in the moment. And Christ will meet you there. I guarantee it. I've seen it happen in my own life. I mean, when I was grieving through all kinds of stuff, uh, Christ met me there. I was screaming and yelling and crying at him. And he met me in the midst of that, and, and I felt his embrace and his comfort. And, and I say, because he suffered, he knows how to meet us in our grief. Right. I mean, I think one of the things that we have to remember is that, I mean, the book of Psalms, right? Yeah. It's, you know, God's hymnal, God's prayer book. Yeah. And overwhelming, two-thirds of the, of the book of the Psalms are lament. lament. Right. <laughs> are crying out to God in our suffering. Yep. Yeah. And asking God to meet us in our suffering. Yeah. Um, and we, you know. And there's an admittance that we're suffering. Right. I mean, there, you know, within the, those trite responses, there's this this sense that, oh, just, just get over it. You know, right. someone's dad dies and they're like, oh, you know, it's been a year. You need to relax. No. Like, there's it's their there's, dad. Right. Yeah. Like, there's a long grieving process. You can't just shove someone out the door and say, just buck up, you know, pull yourself by the bootstraps and, and go. Well, and even when you look at Scripture and the meta narrative within Scripture, it's written in a time of often in grief or in pain. Certainly, when Israel was uh, not comfortable or not in a moment of prosperity, being chased by uh, groups that were trying to kill them, overtake them, and when Christ came into this world, it was not a moment of of pleasure for the for the Jewish community at that time as well. And so, faith has always been written in a period of discomfort and pain. It seems to thrive in that time, that people are open. We're often the most in tune for what God wants to do in our lives, and we we listen to him maybe more. How how would you, let's say if you you were going to answer that direct question, some 21-year-old sitting in a coffee shop ask you, really, Marv, what good is Jesus? You know, what what does it really matter? What, what, What are maybe the kind of top two or three things that you would say to them? Well, I mean, I think the most powerful thing for a millennial would be able to hear my experience. And so I would say, you know, what what good is Jesus? Let me share with you in my life, excuse me, the goodness of Jesus, of what he's brought me through, what he's done in my life. And that gives me the opportunity, the open window for them to say, okay, like, you know, here's my life. Here's my story. How could Jesus be good in my narrative? I mean, I think when I I talk with my college students, they want to know that I've experienced something that I can speak into their life. And, and I can't just automatically start saying, oh, well, Jesus is good because of this, because of this. They need to see and understand my experience and my walk with Christ as well. And I need to be vulnerable and open and honest about my doubts and fears. And then, then they have an open window to hear. And so, you know, when they ask me that question, I automatically would go to my story uh, and share his story in the midst of mine. Uh, and, and I've seen that be the most powerful way to answer that question. And I wouldn't even have a second. I mean, it would just it would just be talking about that, sharing my, my experience with Jesus. That, that's actually kind of leads me into a question, Marv. Um, millennials um, in particular are often uh, drawn to uh, kind of personal feeling, right? Personal mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. Um, but a lot, of your que- a lot of your questions that you, that you address <clears throat> are at some level of the philosophical, yeah. right? Um, do you find that uh, in working with millennials that 
that the, that they really care about the philosophical answer, or is that just something that they've kind of learned as a as a defense mechanism? I, th- I think it's a little bit of both, and I think sometimes you know in the millennial generation they they pers- uh, personify, I guess I want to say those those philosophical things. They they put it to their personal their personal life. So like this idea of you know Jesus has a purpose for humanity. That's chapter two. You know, yeah, it's very philosophical, but there's also this sense of what good is Jesus for the purpose of my life? Uh, and, and they ask, they they internalize those questions, so they don't just philosophize; they're internalizing them. You know, Jesus offers forgiveness. Yeah, it's it's a philosophical idea, but they want to know personally how can I be forgiven for the crap that I've done? Because uh, I mean, many of them would admit and be honest with the, the reality that they've done a lot of stuff that they're not uh, particularly fond of. They wish they could erase. Um, you know, Jesus makes us better. Jesus is a holistic healer. Jesus is not monocultural. Uh, these are different chapter titles, and and there are there is this idea of philosophy, but there's also an understanding that uh, the Jesus that they thought uh, that that culture has painted is more personal. That's the first you know uh, first chapters that Jesus is close and personal because because of the MTD that I think we talked about earlier in the show moralistic therapeutic deism, there's this sense that, oh, God is just distant. But in these philosophical questions, they're internalizing them, and I try and uh, help them internalize the answers to those questions as well. Well, I've got a question for you, you know, as we continue on your book and your thoughts around your book. The question I have for you, I love the title, um, but practically, you know, even just outside of the millennial generation, in culture as a whole, you know, what good, I'd love to hear what the guys think, what good is Jesus uh, to our lives, what good is he to the lives of people that we come in contact with? What does he add? What value does he bring to to this world and the people's lives? Yeah, I mean, for me, and I'll go first. Um, I believe that you know Jesus died, and when he rose again and, and ascended into heaven, he told us to wait for the Holy Spirit, uh, which would be our empowerment to live the way in which he lived. So, if you look at the gospel and the way Jesus interacted with culture, then we have the empowerment to do that now. We have the power to live like Jesus in this world, to show them who Jesus really is. Not the rhetoric, not the the false dichotomies or all this stuff that we talk about, but live action Jesus. And and we see that he was good in the Bible. And many people, philosophers, atheists, Christians alike can agree that the life of Christ was powerful and he did great things. And because he died and rose again and gave us the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to live that way, to be uh, life influences life influencers and gospel living people, and I think that people could agree Jesus lived a good life, and we can live that life now as well. What good is Jesus? That's a great question, a great book. Looking forward to uh, having you guys out there read it. Any place they can go to find it, Kindle, uh, Amazon. Yeah, it's it, right now. Um, it's available on all formats, eBooks. So you can get it on iBooks. You can get it get it at uh, Nook. Barnes and Noble, you can get it on um, the Kindle for Amazon, and then March eighth, it's going to be available at CBD.com, BarnesandNoble.com, uh, as well as Amazon.com. Sweet, that's Marv Nelson. We're going to take a quick, quick break. Step out for a second. We'll be back with our uh, little bit of fun segment called "Call It, Name It, Claim It, Call It." I don't know, whatever you want to do. We'll be right back.
back here at Post Christian Pastors. Well, it's been a good show so far, guys. Huh? Yeah, yeah in there? absolutely. All right. Fun for sure. All right, so we're going to have a little fun here. Uh, a little segment we call Call It. All right, so here's how this is going to work. I'm going to ask you to call uh, this certain uh, thing I'm going to bring up, and we're going to do it in terms of uh, some kind of pop culture reference. And for this week, I'm going to take you back to a little movie from the 80s called Gremlins. 80s again. Yes, it's always 80s all the time. That's when I was in high school, so that's what it's... So Gremlins, how many of you have seen Gremlins? Right here. seen it. Okay, so everybody here has seen Gremlins. So the main Gremlin in the original Gremlins movie was called... Gizmo. Gizmo. He's so cute. And Gizmo's cute and cuddly, and he's... Awesome, and you just want to take him Did home. Anybody have a gizmo? Yes, I think I think I had a gizmo growing up. You would have a gizmo. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. I had Star Wars figures. Yeah, so so gizmo. gizmo, but but if you break the rules and you feed Gizmo after midnight, or you put him in water, uh, bad things happen, right? Yes. They multiply and they turn into gremlins. gremlins. So Gizmo becomes a gremlin, which is mean and nasty, and just kind of you don't want them around, and it's just kind of not the best thing so here's what we're gonna do we're gonna play a little game called gizmo or gremlin so we just picked a few things out in uh, pop culture where you're gonna have to respond gizmo or gremlin all right so you're ready i'm gonna hit them with you real quick these are quick hitters just a little fun here as we as we uh begin to wrap up the first episode of uh post-christian pastor so here we go all right number one we're gonna start off big gizmo or gremlin donald trump Gremlin. <laughs> uh, is it because of the hair? Or no, no, I don't no. know. I don't know. No, but. Gremlin. What do you go with, Mike? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know yet. Somewhere in I'm between. Wow. Are you one waiting? of those are you evangelicals. The, I'm going to wait and see. Are you waiting till the primaries are over? Yes. Okay, uh, Mar, what are you going with? Gizmo or Gremlin? Oh, I said Gremlin. Gremlin. All right. And what are you going with? Gremlin. John? Gremlin. All right. I'm going to go with... Uh, Gremlin. I think that's a bad choice. Anyway, um, not my choice. I think people choosing Trump is a bad choice. All right, here we go. Number two, selfie sticks. Gizmo or Gremlin? This is something you want around, or is it something that you don't want around? We'll start with Marv this time. You know, I'm kind of in between. You know, I see these things being good and bad at the same time, but mostly Gremlin. Okay, is this a, okay? So you were? I thought you were going to go with like the cocoon in between. No, no okay, no. not 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 I'm, not like I'm, the alien cocoon. You know, yeah. what's coming out of there is always bad. But but uh, so you're going? I'm going Gremlin. You're going Gremlin? Why? Because yeah, it, it feeds. Well, into, I mean, you love millennials. What but the heck? It feeds into their narcissism. Okay, it's the narcissistic. All right. Yeah. All right. What about you? So I have a friend on Facebook who calls selfie sticks Imago Day sticks. What? So yeah, the Im- Imago image of God yeah, sticks. Right. Why is that? Because you are God. Yeah, you're an image. Of, you're, oh, you're, you're taking a picture of, of the, the image, image of God. God. Take a exactly. picture of someone else. You get the same thing. Yeah, that's true. Amen. Thank you. That was see. Marvis CMA has good theology. John is John is Presbyterian. They come up with. They make it up. They make it up as they go I said along. It was a Facebook friend. Right. Oh, oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Who's Presbyterian? <laughs> All right, Mike. You going? Are you I going? Say gremlin. They're ridiculously annoying when I see them around. I bump into them. Uh, they're not handy. 
Um, I got long arms. I don't need them. I got a 38 inch. <laughs> you are a, you are a I, selfie I have stick. I own built in selfie stick. You selfie you stick. are. I could, a, I could touch Mar from where I'm at right well, over here. Nice. We are next to each other. <laughs> I'm going to go on the selfie stick. I'm going to go gremlin. It's one of the most annoying things out there. It's just it's just really crazy, and there's too many selfies. I just don't want to see that many pictures of my friends on Facebook. I know what or you look their like. metal right. pole. I mean, That's right. I'd safe. rather you take a picture of like the hamburger you're eating at In-N-Out <laughs> yeah. than, your than, than yourself. Yeah. Right. Your feet in the sand, any of that. Cool. I have warts on my feet. That probably wouldn't be a very good picture. I actually oh, would like to see that's that. That's too much information. <laughs> All right. Okay, here we go. Number three. Here we go. Number three on... Uh, um, uh, Gremlin or Gizmo, or Gizmo or Gremlin, the latest Star Wars movie. Gremlin or Gizmo or Gizmo or Gremlin? John? Uh, Gizmo. Gizmo, yes. why? I thought it was great. I loved it. I don't spoil it. I was just going to say a spoiler. No, I just I, th- I think that everybody who says that you know, it's just a remake of the originals, uh, I, see what, I see where they're coming from, but I, I think that they're missing the, the bigger picture. Yeah, they don't have a big picture view. Right. Okay, Mar, what about you? I say Gizmo as well, especially that moment when Gizmo, Han... you want to cuddle up with it. You want to cuddle <laughs> up like a you want to cuddle up with the Wookiee. Is that what you're <laughs> yes, saying? That's right. I mean, when okay. Han hugs Chewie, <laughs> Han, awesome. <laughs> we're the non-spoiler version here. I can't believe you're the only person on the planet, Mike, who has not seen this movie. Well, listen, I had to before this. I have two daughters. I actually made them watch the, the other Star Wars movies. Oh, good dad. Good dad. That's a very good dad. And they were that. literally like whining the entire time, making fun of the technology and what it looked like. And I'm like listen, <laughs> this is a classic. You have Jar Jar to watch Binks. this. This is they were making off. fun of all of that. You didn't make them watch. I haven't allowed my kids to watch. One, two, three, not yet. But we're going to watch. Okay, they don't need to watch those. No, no, no. They got to go through all of the pain. In order. In, they've done the uh, four, five, and six. I didn't allow so my kids to watch the uh, prequels. Yeah, so I mean, I've, I've, my son I've has not seen them either. It's like the Indiana Jones like it, 4. The think it's great. So I would say, how many times have you seen Shawshank? No. <laughs> I would right, say so Gizmo how about you? from what I've That's heard. my other thing. What I'll ask you? you about Shawshank all the time. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna go. I am gonna go with the cocoon in the middle. Really? Yeah, I'm gonna go with the cocoon in the middle. So there Surprise. were moments I, I saw it twice. I liked it better the it's second time. A nerd, dude. I know. It's I am twice. a nerd. I liked it better the second time I saw, it, but still. Did you dress up like uh, Obi Wan Kenobi or something? Like no, it's Princess Leia <laughs> in the bikini. All right, so. <laughs> no, I'm not getting no. that. I was, See, job no, I don't dress up. Okay, so I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. I like that stuff. I've been to Comic Con. I understand you're all that stuff. Kind of that guy. But I am not that guy. You're around those guys. Though. I am around those guys. I appreciate those guys. Right, next, next but one. don't be around next them too one. much because a lot of them smell. All right, there's the second. We don't, we don't need to. All right, here we go. The next one. The next one. Either Gizmo or Gremlin. The Coldplay halftime show. Coldplay halftime show. Either going to give it to Gizmo. You want to cuddle up with it, you want to keep it, you want it around, or you just want it to go away because it's just crazy. I'm just going to go first. I, you know, I haven't watched a halftime show of the Super Bowl for probably seven years. Okay. And I'm happy that I haven't. I, 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 I miss nothing. Every year there's always some controversy, some ridiculous whiner about the halftime show. I just don't watch them. So I'm just going to go Gremlin because I don't give a crap about it. No, I got a different take on this. I actually like it. I would call it a gizmo. Oh, so we have debate. Um, you like the Coldplay. It's the first time I didn't have like a grandfather rocking out during the halftime show. But was, these guys are ancient. I don't want to see men with wrinkles or uh, like my old rockers. Having a malfunction. So it was just 
Yeah, ever since that, <laughs> we've had like geezer patrol. Bruce Springsteen had a wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that would. What about that Bruno, Bruno Mars? Not in, no geezer there. Bruno. No, that yeah, was, Bruno Mars. Was there. Come on, Mr. Millennial. Dude, I'm just not into halftime shows. Beyonce, Bruno Mars. So you're going, you're going, you're going Gizmo. Gizmo. I kind of enjoyed it. I going. I got excited. Gremlin. Gremlin. John. I mean, I really can't actually even comment because I couldn't hear them hear the music. I mean, it's so badly. Like uh, televised, tell like the audio and everything was just so bad. I, no, I, you well, you need to get a new TV or no, something. No, seriously, it's, it's oh, I, it was just bad. It was bad. You, I mean, you couldn't. Because uh, maybe you're watching it on your little black and white <laughs> like tube television <laughs> from like 1983. Right, yeah. But we're back to the 80s again. I do have a flat screen television. Right? Nice. No. Wow, you um, live in the 80s, bro. <laughs> I do live in the 80s. I was there when video killed the radio <laughs> star. Yeah, that first day MTV aired, I was there. All right, I'm gonna go with uh, Gremlin. Yes, I just didn't really like enjoy it. You guys are cynical to everything. I thought Coldplay looked. <laughs> cynical I, I think Coldplay looked a little bit out of. I don't think that's their venue in the middle of the day, playing like. I thought his uh, uh, car karaoke with James uh, Corden was better than that. Yes, show. so maybe they should have just shown carpool karaoke <laughs> yeah, that was, that was awesome. during halftime. Yeah. Would have been better and <laughs> yeah. saved a whole heck of a lot of money. Yeah. And gave it to us. No, gave it to the post pastors. Yeah, gave it to post Christian pastors. All right, that's call it. That's call it for this week. Settle down. That's call it for this week. We'll be back to wrap things up here on Post Christian. Back here on Post Christian Pastors. By the way, the music you've been listening to is by Red Letter Hymnal. You might want to check them out on iTunes, redletterhymnal.com. Some great music there. Uh, some EDM. Marco Rubio likes EDM. I saw this in a debate. He likes EDM music. So uh, mm. that's good millennial music, right? Yeah. EDM. Yeah. So Red Letter Hymnal, check them out. So we come to the end of the show, guys. End of the first show. Good. What do you think? So we tried to answer the question, what good is Jesus? Susie Meister talked to us a little bit about her journey of faith and kind of where she is right now. And, and uh, what do you think about the first show? It was good. I was glad to be a part of it. Thanks for uh, helping me chat about my book a little bit, you know, and putting the word out there and then using it in our conversation with Susie. I thought it was good as well. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I appreciate it. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and I look forward to the next one. Great hanging out with you guys, and uh, look forward to doing this again, Mark. Yeah, same. Cool. It's great being with you guys. And that brings us to the end of Post-Christian Pastors. If you want to uh, contact us in any way, you can send an email to postchristianpastors at gmail.com. Also, check us out on Facebook. We'll also have a blog up at postchristianpastors.com. So please check all those things out. Hope to see you there soon. Bye. Bye. See you, everybody.